Father in heaven, this is a special morning. It's unique, Lord, in the scriptures. Uh, the inspired, unerring Apostle Paul levels his sights on the, the youngest in the room and on fathers. Would you do something unique, Lord Jesus, with this time? We know that you are in this message, and so come as I seek to preach the gospel by unfolding the Bible to the church that you have given me to love. Lord, we thank you for the unique dynamics of today as we address children, as we address fathers. Come now, Holy Spirit. Build your church for the glory of the name of Jesus, for the building up of your church, and for the ingathering, Lord, of all of your sheep, we pray. And everyone agreed and said? Amen. This is a unique morning. We find ourselves back in our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians today. And this time we're entering the home stretch. This is chapter 6. Come to the final chapter of this magnificent book of the Bible. If you've been with us over these months, you've learned that union with Christ is the heartbeat of Paul's letter to Ephesus. Union with Christ. It's the teaching of the New Testament that shows how all of the blessings of our salvation come through being joined to Jesus. You say, what sorts of blessings? Well, here's a, here's a sampling. In Ephesians 1.4, we read that God chose us in Christ, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 1.5, we discover that our adoption as children of God is through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.5 tells us that God made us alive together with Christ and that he has raised us with him already and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then there are the images, and they are many. Union with Christ is a doctrine probably better caught than taught. And if you're a person that gravitates more toward portraits than prepositions, then the Apostle Paul has some powerful pictures of our unity with Jesus. For example, in Ephesians 1, and 23, Jesus is our head and we are the body. Ephesians 2, 19, Jesus is our king and we are citizens of that kingdom under his sovereign dominion. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, the Apostle Paul even likens Christ to our clothing. He says we are to put off our old selves and to put on our new selves. And specifically in Romans 13, 14, Paul says put on the Lord Jesus Christ like you put on clothing. We'll see that in a couple of weeks as we look at the armor of God. Uh, finally, two Sundays ago, we found ourselves studying the most profound illustration of all. It's the illustration of marriage. Jesus is the husband, Christ is our husband, and we, the church, are his bride. And that's the reality that provides the template as well as the definition for every marriage on the planet still today. One man, one woman, one flesh, for life. So union with Christ is far from just a theoretical, uh, academic, abstract teaching. The doctrine finds us right where we live. In fact, by God's design, the doctrine of union with Christ is one that we get to take all the way home with us. And in order to demonstrate this for us, I'd like to invite 
our kids to join me up here on the steps, if you would. If you are normally someone who goes down to Children's Church, come on forward and join me on the stairs. Uh, if you would like to bring your children up and just sit with them, that's fine too, but I'll take a few minutes with any children that we have with us up front here. Would you join me? You're a children, come on up. You qualify. You qualify. Come on up. Come on up, buddy. Isn't this unique in the Bible? Welcome. Come on up. Come on up. Paul takes this point of the letter and he addresses children. He's not talking to parents in verses 1 to 3. And you all need to remember this, that God loves you so much that he has focused three verses right to you and to no one else in the sanctuary today. So let me, let me read. I'll read all four of these, actually, okay? And then we'll go back and unfold the first three, okay? Ephesians 6, 1 to 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, this is to your dads. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right, four things I want us to think about in this passage, the first three verses that we just read. Children, obey your parents. And to do that, I think I'll, I may ask some questions of you. But when you hear the word obey, what do you think of? Andrew. I think of, like, if mom says, okay, clean up your toys, you should just do it right away. Right. That's what I think of it. So you, you do what your parents say, right? Your mission is a sub-mission under your parents. Your parents have a mission to follow Jesus and to lead you, and your mission is to come underneath their mission, right, and help them to lead you. And one of the ways you do that is by obeying, right? So you do as they lead you, okay? You submit to them. Now, the first thing Paul tells us about obeying our parents is that it is in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why does he say that? What do you think? For those who have been listening to the sermons all along, the heartbeat of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is union with Christ, right? So Jesus says in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. But then we learn in Philippians 4, 13, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So the first thing that Paul wants us to know in Ephesians 6 about obeying your parents is that it's possible. It's actually possible. Now, apart from Jesus, apart from his help, no way. Because we need forgiveness for our sins, right? We also need power to live in the strength that he supplies. But through Jesus, it, it truly is possible. This is not, a, this is not a, an impossibility for you. You can do this through Christ. So... Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is possible. The second reason that Paul gives is that this is right. So here's my question for you. And those of you who are Monty Python fans in the room may remember this. What have your parents ever done for you, really? What have, what have your parents really 
ever done for you? Or what do your parents do for you? They Go ahead. Food and water. Food and water. A shelter. Shelter. Go ahead. Go ahead. What do your parents do for you, Andrew? Um, I see the wheels turning there. I don't know. I gotta keep thinking. Gotta keep thinking. How about those clothes that you're wearing right now? Shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Mia, what do your parents do for you? They pay for your dance? Sure. Yeah, they do, right? What else do our parents do for us? How about this? Just about everything, right? Just about everything. So here's my thinking. Paul says, union, through our union with Christ, obedience to your parents, it's possible. This is obedience in the Lord, right? But secondly, you know what else? Obedience to your parents is reasonable. That's reasonable. It's not actually too much to ask, right? Seeing that they brought you into this world and they they do everything for you, they provide all that you need and even some things you don't need, right? It's reasonable. All right, third, this is really encouraging. Paul says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a... Promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, promise. Who makes that promise? Jesus. Jesus does. Jesus makes a promise. And when Jesus makes a promise, when God makes a promise, can we, can we count on him? Yes. Yeah, we can. We can. And so he says that honoring your parents is something that is rewardable, or another way you can think of it is that it is beneficial to you. It's not just right, it's not just reasonable, it's not just something you can do, it's something you really want to do because God's going to bless you, okay? And in this case, he says, long life and um, that it will go well with you, but God will bless you. God will absolutely bless you if you obey your parents. And the, the question is then just, can we, can we trust him? Can we trust his promises? Right? Yeah. First Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. God promised us Jesus. Did he send Jesus? Yep. Yeah. Did he send him all the way to the cross for us? Yes. And if he, was, if he was faithful to bring that promise to pass, do you think he's going to bring this promise of blessing to you if you obey your parents? Absolutely. Absolutely. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Why wouldn't he with him also give us all things? And some of that all things is right here in Ephesians 6, 2, and 3. He will bless you as you obey your parents. All right, one final thing, and it's not in this text, but it's in uh, a similar passage in Colossians three twenty. Listen to this. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases... Guess who it pleases? God does. God does. It pleases the Lord. Have you ever done something where your parents smiled and said, I'm so proud of you. I am so pleased with you right now. Not only does your obedience please your parents, it absolutely pleases your parents, but even more significantly, more importantly, it pleases the Lord. God is thrilled when you seek to obey your parents. Even when you obey your parents and you don't exactly, what? Want to. We talked about that yesterday. It's not the easiest thing to obey me, right? But when you do anyway, 
God is really, really pleased. So the last thing I would say is that it's pleasurable. All right, so let's talk about three ubbles, or sorry, four ubbles about obedience with your parents, and then you guys can head to Children's Church. Number one, obedience to your parents is possible, right? It's in the Lord, so it's possible. Number two, obedience to your parents is they give you everything that you need and some, even some things you don't. Therefore, obedience to your parents is what? Reasonable. Respectful. It's respectful. Yeah. Absolutely, it's respectful, and it's reasonable, right? Another thing, God will bless you. God will bless you, and so obedience to your parents is beneficial. That's good for you, okay? He will bless you. And then finally, it is pleasurable. Who does your obedience please? God. Sometimes it even pleases you. When you obey your parents, sometimes you think, that was right what I just did. That was right, and even you're pleased. That's good news, isn't it? So that's what Paul wants to tell you this morning. Children, obeying your parents in the Lord is possible, reasonable, beneficial, and pleasurable. Those of you who are second grade and younger that normally go down to children's church, you can head on down. And if you're third grade and older, you can stay up with us for the rest of the sermon, okay? Thanks for coming up, guys. By God's design, the doctrine of a union with Christ is one that we get to take all the way home with us. All the way home. We have one more verse left, and it's going to occupy the balance of our time together today. It's a specific word for fathers in the church, and we have a handful of fathers here in this room and grandfathers as well, and those who will be fathers It's a specific word for fathers in the church. Uh, Similar to the point one, Paul's word to fathers has four facets that I can show us. So let's read verse four, and then we'll unpack the wisdom in four simple steps. Ephesians 6, four, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's start here. Point number two. Fathers, training your children in the Lord is non-negotiable. Fathers, training your children in the Lord is non-negotiable. The first thing to note about this word to fathers is that it's a word to fathers. Fathers specifically and not parents generally. Paul clearly knew the word for parents. He uses it up in verse 1. This is not the word for parents. It's a specific instruction for fathers. And that means, dads, we can't punt on this. We cannot renounce or relinquish or resign our role to anyone else. Mothers, pastors, youth leaders, Sunday school teachers included. Mothers can be partners in the work and ought to be. Pastors, youth leaders, Sunday school teachers, they can be allies in our quest. But fathers must not for one nanosecond abandon the appropriate role that they have as the leaders of their children. We are not to abandon or step down or hand over this primary responsibility to anyone else. Now, why? 
because fathers are powerful. They are incredibly powerful in the dynamic of a home. God has designed a father's influence in the household to be pervasive. So much of who each of us are are this morning, today, so much of what we are is is attributable to our fathers, whether we'd admit it or not and whether we like it or not. Our fathers have an irreversible impact on how we interpret reality. Every one of us is is a product of that especially as we interpret divine reality. If you are a father, your worldview will be what your children have to deal with their entire lives. And they may embrace it wholeheartedly, or they may wrestle with it as a menacing foe in their lives, but one thing is true, they will not be able to avoid it. Your worldview is meant to be impressed on your children while they are wet cement. And it will become a part of their lives one way or another. They won't be able to shake it. That's an enormous obligation. But fathers in the room, it's what we're, we're made for. So take up this good work. And if we're going to train our children, then we need training ourselves. And so that's what we're going to tackle in the rest of verse 4. But we need to say this right up front. We have to acknowledge and embrace this. Fathers, training your children in the Lord is non-negotiable. Secondly, fathers, training your children in the Lord is bungleable. And yes, I've coined a word here for the purposes of this outline. It is bungleable. I looked at 1,400 words that end with the word able, and I couldn't find the right one, so I made this up. Bungleable. Our non negotiable role as the primary spiritual leader of our children can be mismanaged and very poorly executed. And we in the sanctuary who are adults bear witness to that as well. We can bungle this. We can make a mess of this. How? Well, of all the ways that we can go wrong, God's word would highlight one particular aspect of this, something that we wrestle with as dads. Ephesians 6.4 warns us, Fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger. You say, well, what's he talking about? If you are a father who is with us today, you know what he's talking about. He's talking about excessively severe discipline. He's talking about unreasonable demands, unfairness condemnation of our children, humiliation of our children, arbitrariness in our expectations, insensitivity, painful absence, manipulation, harsh tone, threatening words, slamming of doors, pounding of counters. Fathers, this is not the way of Christ. Amen? It's not the way of Christ. And when it becomes our way, when this becomes the primary way that we relate to our children, they won't just see incongruity between us and the Savior. (laughs) Would that they saw that, but they don't see that. You know what they see? They came to associate our harshness with the Savior. 
They graft our attitude and the ways that we handle ourselves in our own home up onto him and onto God the Father. They will impress our example onto him. And the Christian faith will become a profoundly disheartening reality for them. I think that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at in a parallel passage. It's in Colossians 3.21 where he writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Our role as fathers isn't to drive our children to Christ as, as if we could. Our role is to draw them to Christ, to win them and woo them to Jesus. So here's a, here's a question. Fathers, grandfathers, when is the last time that you asked a child to forgive you? When's the last time that happened for you? Next question would be, when is the last time that you sinned against them? If you desire respect and appreciation and admiration from your children, it happens as you demonstrate the work of the gospel in your own heart by inviting their forgiveness when you sin against them. Fathers, training your children in the Lord is bungleable. We can blow this. But here's the neat thing about kids. Kids are resilient. I told you they're wet cement. They are. They can bounce back. Your repentance is a mighty ally in your toolkit as you desire to lead them to Jesus Christ. Repentance and brokenness goes right alongside non-negotiable leadership. Third, third, that's fifth, that's third. Fathers, training your children in the Lord is instructional. Training your children in the Lord is instructional. Now, Ephesians 6.4 goes on to say, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, a few things about the words that Paul uses here. I know there's not much left in this verse, but there's a, there's, uh, these are weighty words. The phrase, bring them up, we've seen it once uh, before in our letter uh, to the Ephesians here. Ephesians 5.25 Paul uses this word when he says husbands are to nourish their wives as Christ does the church. It's the word for nourish here. Bring them up. It's the word for it's nourish them. Feed them. Nurture them. Tenderly cultivate your children's growth and their knowledge of the gospel. And then there's two sides to this nurturing. And I'm not crazy about the translation of either word here. Um, ESV doesn't blow it often, but here I think it does. And I'll show you why. Uh, the first side of the nourishing that we're to do with our children is instructional. I know it says discipline, discipline of the Lord, but that word doesn't bring the nuance here that, that Paul's aiming at. Paul uses a word here that is used in the book of Acts to clearly refer to the positive, formative teaching of a student like in a class. So, for example, Acts 7.22, we read that Moses was instructed in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. That's the word for discipline here, instructed in their wisdom. Or Acts 22.3, Paul says he was educated at the feet of the rabbi Gamaliel. He was educated at the feet of a rabbi. It's a positive, formative, instructional word, educated. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, Titus 2.12, translate this word training or train, okay? The point is that the ESV is using the word discipline in a way that we might use the word discipleship today. 
the education, the instruction, the training of the Lord. So yes, bring them to church by all means, but please, fathers, do what you are designed to do and bring the church home. That's your role, you and you alone. One of the most moving biographical accounts of a father and his son I've probably ever heard is the story of William Ellery Channing's experience with his father. Channing was a church leader in the early 19th century. Uh, William Ellery Channing, along with his father, went to an evangelistic rally one evening. The preacher was intense, and he spoke appropriately of coming judgment, and he warned his listeners, father and son right next to each other, to flee the wrath of God and the eternal fires of everlasting hell. Uh, The account reads this way. Little Channing was stunned. He felt the terror of his condition as a condemned being. After the meeting, his father greeted an acquaintance with the pronouncement, strong doctrine, sir. You hear a dad saying that? Strong doctrine, sir. The words struck little Channing hard because they seemed to answer the question whether the preacher spoke the truth. And by the way, that's what our children are looking for. Not just what the preacher says, but what dad says about what the preacher says. And if dad says it's strong doctrine, then that's what it is. His words answered the question of whether the preacher spoke the truth. Yet, neither of them spoke as they began their journey home. But on the way, incongruously, the elder Channing, dad, began to whistle. Almost nothing was said to the family about how they should flee the wrath to come. And when they reached home, instead of speaking some word to the family about their terrible, terrible plight, Channing's father pulled off his boots, propped up his feet on the fireplace, and calmly relaxed with the newspaper. The scene was a revelation to Channing. His father didn't believe it. At this realization, as it washed over him, Channing first felt relieved. And then... On further reflection, he began to feel violated. Channing felt angry and manipulated and being imposed upon. Why did the church preach that God was so vindictive if he wasn't? And if people believed it, why did they praise God for his goodness and love? If people like his father didn't believe it, then why did they pretend otherwise? Now, this moment in little Channing's life is going to mark him all the rest of his days. I mentioned that Channing was a church leader. He was. He was a Unitarian church leader as he grew up. He came to abandon the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, the doctrine of the Trinity. Channing scoffed at traditional notions of biblical authority. His doctrinal views went on to have a devastating impact on the churches of New England, and he becomes the father of American Protestant liberalism in this country. Do we connect the dots of the pulpit with the living room with our children? They're expecting us to. Fathers, do what no one else in your children's lives is meant to do. Teach them the Bible. Read the word of God with your kids. Pray together. 
sing together, answer their questions, ask them your questions, see what their answers are. You are designed to have a deeper and wider and more profound impact on your children's spiritual development than anybody else. Now, I gave us a negative example of Channing. Let me give us a positive one. I did get his okay on this a few minutes ago. Uh, got a text about 9.15 this morning from our Matt Hendrickson, his dear wife is here today. And Matt texted me about 9.15 today, Micah and I rediscovered And Can It Be this morning. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. Can you hear your dad singing this? Hear Matt singing this? My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And then Matt says, I'm praying for this worship service. I love it. I love it. Fathers, train your children in the Lord. Our training is, is unavoidably instructional. It's positive. It's formative. Finally, fathers, training your children in the Lord is a warning signal. I initially had correctional here, but really it's, I think, warning signal. It's a warning signal. Fathers, training your children in the Lord is a, is a warning signal. Again, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I mentioned this second word, too, might not be the best word choice, and I don't think it is, because Paul employs a word for instruction here that's far better captured in most of its uses in the New Testament with the word caution or warning. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Paul is citing examples of unbelief of God's people in the Old Testament. And he says by way of summary to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Now these things that happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. So what, you can translate the word instruction, but really what he's getting at there is warning. Warning. Uh, it's even clearer in Titus 3.10. In Titus 3.10, Paul writes, As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. So in Titus 3.10, the word for instruction is translated warning. And again, this is what fathers do so well, ought to do well. It's the other side of the discipleship coin. One side here in Ephesians 6.4 is positive or formative. The other side is, is negative or corrective. It's a word of caution. It's a word of warning. And as fathers, we ought to sound that alarm to our children regularly. Vital to the training of our children is the idea of alerting them to danger, helping them to have a healthy dread of the unholy trinity of the world and the flesh and the devil. My father, my own dad, was a master at warnings. I remember one time in sixth grade, I was watching MTV, 
and I learned that there was this thing where I could call a 1-900 number and talk to Steven Tyler and Aerosmith. I thought, that sounds good. So I called 1-900, and I did this not just once, not just twice, but repeatedly over about a three-week period. I didn't realize that my dad got a phone bill for that kind of thing. And so he showed me the phone bill, and he said, David, do you know anything about a 1-900 number being called, like right during the time when I come in from home from school each day for a period of three weeks? No, no. Are you sure? Yeah, I, I had no idea what that is. And then he began to do a little bit of investigation. He said, do, do you know something called rock talk? Rock talk? And I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm, I'm scared, scared at this moment. And he left me in my room to think about the situation. And he came up to me again. He said, are, are you sure you don't know anything about this? I said, I, I don't know anything about it. He said, because I'm going to come down real hard on the people that charged us this call. And at that point, I couldn't imagine the suffering of the people on the other end of that discussion. <laughs> and so I blew it. Tears, everything. Why does my dad say things like that to me? Because he loves me. He's warning me. In fact, he's warning me of what other people will get if I don't confess to him what I just did. It's a warning signal. My dad's so good at it. Matthew Henry, the Puritan, says in his comment to dads on this verse in Ephesians 6, 4, that we fathers ought to instruct our children to fear sinning. How do you keep from sinning? Fear it. And dad can do that. Dad can place that sort of warning bell in our children. Solomon warns his child similarly. Think of the ache of this one. Solomon warns his son. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. My son, do not walk in the way with them. My son, be attentive to my words. Let them not escape your sight. Do not swerve to the right or to the left or to let your foot turn away from evil. So do you say these kinds of things to your kids if you're a dad? You must. You must. You will serve them well. Fathers, training your children in the Lord, among other things, is a warning signal. So the doctrine of union with Christ is one that we get to take all the way home with us. Children, obeying your parents in the Lord is possible, it's reasonable, it's beneficial, and it's pleasurable. Fathers, training your children in the Lord is non-negotiable. It's bungleable. It's instructional. It's a warning signal. So this week, we take the doctrine of union with Christ home with us. If you're a part of a community group, I trust maybe you'll take a look at the questions and begin to bring Deuteronomy chapter 6, the passage that Danae read for us. Bring that to bear in your own homes as you meet together throughout the week. We take the doctrine of union with Christ home with us this week. Next week, we'll take the doctrine of union with Christ to work with us. And the sermon is entitled Vocation in Christ. We'll pick it up then. Let's pray right now. Father in heaven, how thankful we are for the scriptures. Where would we be without a clear word from God? And we thank you, Father, that that word is most clearly seen in the person and work of Jesus. 
what a, what a tough and tender Savior we have. I pray, Father, that our own fathers would be a wonderful emulation of Jesus. Jesus who could stare down religious hypocrites. Jesus who welcomed and honored women and children and sinners far from the kingdom. And then Jesus who ultimately went to the cross and poured out his blood as a sacrifice. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to whether it's our children's obedience or the influence of our fathers, we are in need of a Savior. So please, Jesus, forgive us our sins afresh this morning. Pardon our sins. And don't just give us pardon for sin, but give us power for obedience this week. Help us to live in the strength that you supply to the glory that you deserve. And in spite of us, Father, help us to entrust the gospel to the next generation. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.